How many of you appreciated Elder Des Cummings? Wow, was that good stuff? I was taking notes during a lot of what he was saying. How many of you take notes with this type of thing? Okay, what I want to do is, those of you who took notes, if you have something that you learned today, just a new way of looking at things, one sentence. I want you to just look at your notes and call that out. Some sentence, something you got from what Des Cummings shared with us. Let's hear it. What did you get? Sabbath is love, okay? What else? Somebody else. Six days God created life, the seventh day He created love. What else? Somebody else, would you get? Raise your hand and then shout it out. Yes. Rest, blessed, and sanctified, right? What else? Time is holy. What else? Oh, nice. Three days prepare, three days afterglow. Yes. Six days he created life, the seventh day he created love. Oh, yes. Life and love. It's only when you're willing to die for me can you judge me. Oh, you're willing to die for me, can you judge me? I wrote that one down, too. I said, oh, that's powerful. I saw another hand in here somewhere. Yes, ma'am. Yep. The battle is the Lord's. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, the new definition of pleasure from Isaiah, right? We're thinking about doing our pleasure and so on. Yes. Yes, in the middle of Sabbath is the word Abba, which means father. It's amazing, isn't it? Anybody else? Something you got? Yes. Oh, that was beautiful, wasn't it? Turn your disappointments into God's appointments. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Yes, ma'am. Wisdom is seeing your work through God's eyes. Anybody else? Something you got that just came up with that just grabbed you. I like doing this because you want to apply what you've learned rather than just walk away and say, well, that was good. Yeah, but now how do I apply that to my life, right? So I got some good sermon notes from, from uh, you know, well, that's called sanctified stealing. It's okay when you, you redo something, right? What else did I write down? I wrote down, I liked his question he talked about you could do on Friday night or Sabbath. Where did you see Jesus this week? Wasn't that good? Oh, I like that. Something that we do at my house sometimes on Sabbath, is we will get out a piece of paper, and everybody has, there's four in our family, so everybody gets three sheets of paper, and we write down what I like about the other people in the family. And it's, it's an affirming of your family, growing family time. So I, I write down what I like about Lisa, what I like about Michael, what I like about Andrew, and we each do that, and we give that to each other. And it's such an affirming thing to do on Sabbath. What else did I get? Oh, when Des talked about, sometimes people say, well, the Sabbath, Sabbath was changed. He said, the Sabbath was not changed. Before Jesus died, the new commandment was love, right? If anything was changed, it was more of a focus on love. Anyone else? Something you, you got out of uh, what Des shared with us today before? Yes, ma'am. Spend time with eternity every Sabbath. Isn't that a, 
a, a cool way to look at things. Every Sabbath, you spend time with eternity. Was there another hand I saw? Okay. We like to apply what we learned. Now, I told you earlier that I'd be giving away some books. How many of you have heard of the book? Well, let me ask you this. How many have heard of Ivor Myers? Very well-known, very respected, appreciated Seventh-day Adventist preacher and author. And I have some of his book called Operation Blueprint, Earth's Final Movie, The Ultimate Search and Rescue Mission, Ivor Myers. Now, you're not just going to get these. You have to do something to get them, okay? So, I'm going to ask for three people to help me with something, but you've got, there's a caveat. You've got to, I'm not going to embarrass you too badly. You've got to be willing to come up here. You have to be able to do at least walk well, have some good, you don't have to do calisthenics, but you just be able to walk well. And um, what I'm going to tell you what I'm looking for I uh, realize there's a lot of precious souls in here, and this is kind of a parable to relate to what I'm going to share with you, and we know there's angels in this room, but also I would like, I think we need some security guards, especially in the day we live, so I need three people who are going to be willing to be security guards for me to march back and forth up here for just a few minutes, that's it, and when you're done, okay, I see one, they were done, I'm going to give you this book, there's one, okay, Got you? I'm going to point you out, so don't come running up here, okay? I pointed one out. There's one. There's two. One more back there. Okay. I'll I'll tell you what we're going to do. It doesn't matter which side you start. I'm going to let you all come up here. And you can walk over this or in front of it, but what I want you, three of you to do is just start marching back and forth between these flowers Just keep on marching back and forth like guards until I say stop, okay? Go. Start marching back and forth. Okay, they are helping the angels be security guards for this place. Because again, like I said, there's lots of of, uh, security issues. Now, I'm going to help you folks. Marching is not like this. Marching is like this, okay? I need you marching. Security guards, I need you marching, okay? Need you marching, okay? Good. Aren't they doing a good job? I think they're good. Now, that applause doesn't mean stop. You're security guards. You've got to keep going, okay? It's only a few minutes. You're going to get a book. It's okay. Man, they're doing a nice job. I feel safer already, don't you? Very safe. Very good. Keep on marching. Put the energy. Thank you so much. You know what? I could probably use one more security guard. One more security guard. I see a hand right there. Yes, ma'am. You had it up before. Come on up. Keep on marching, folks. Remember, here's the deal. Keep on marching until I say stop. Okay? I appreciate it. I feel so safe with you here. Just keep marching until I say stop. Okay? Just... Okay, stop. Great. You can come on up here. You can come on up. There you go. There you go. There you go. You all okay with that? Now, because you're such humble adults, 
you didn't realize that I was very unfair. The kids picked this up right away. I usually use quarters with them. Was that okay? Was that fair? Now, some of you are saying no. Why are you saying no? Oh, he's saying, this lady came up. She didn't even march a minute. What did she get? Book. Same thing I gave everybody else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we want to ask that as we open your word today, you speak to us. Something that Des touched on today, we want to take that a little further. Uh, We want to ask you to guide us into understanding your wonderful grace and love for your people today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, years ago, before I became a Christian, before I became an Adventist, I worked at a factory uh, where we processed catalytic converters. We took these substrates that kind of looked, they were ceramic, they looked like kind of honeycombs, and we ran them through precious metals, all kinds of nasty chemicals in the air and so on. But anyway, I was part of a labor union. I didn't really have a choice. I was part of a labor union, which I was not really excited about. But here's the way it worked. There were A operators and B operators in this plant. And A operators usually had a higher pay than B operators because the work had supposedly more responsibility. But the way it worked was if you were an A operator, you got paid the same as all the other A operators. It didn't matter what job you were doing in A operators, you all got paid the same. If you were a B operator, you all got paid the same as the other B operators. Now, they considered that a fair way to do things in the labor union. I'm not here to talk about labor unions, but they considered that fair. I did not consider it fair because I knew that some of us worked harder than some of the others who were A or B operators. Some of us, when the lines went down, were sweeping up and finding things to do. Others were sitting around, and we all got paid the same. And so my work ethic I had grown up with told me that was not fair. That bugged me. I believe that those who work harder should be paid more, right? That's fair. That would be fair in the world of work, but not in the kingdom of God, because what works for salary does not work for salvation. And it's very interesting. In fact, in one sense, you could say tonight, God is not fair, We're going to look at our unfair God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Des touched on this, and I thought he was going to do my vespers for me, but he didn't. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, if you have your Bible with you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, today's text is really an elaboration of Jesus' um, answer to his disciples in the previous chapter, Matthew 19, when they asked him, who then can be saved? He had just been dealing with a rich young ruler who walked away from him, and Jesus said it's very difficult for the rich to be saved. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to be saved. And this shocked the disciples, because in that time, if you were rich, it showed you were blessed. Well, they were in for another shock in this next chapter we're reading. 
See, it was, it was custom back then for an employer, when the harvest came in, if he owned a vineyard or whatever, when the harvest would come in, he would go into the marketplace and look for workers for that day. And people would be, the workers would go there and they would wait, men would be waiting in the marketplace, and then they would negotiate wages for that day's work. And they just work each day. They may have had a different job. That's the way it worked. Verse 2. Now, when they had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius, as you probably know, is a standard day's wages. I don't know what that might be today, but a standard day's wages for a common laborer. In other words, what he was going to be paying them was fair, was considered to be fair. Now, I'm going to read verses 3 through 12. This is a longer section. And he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, understand, these were not slackers. Again, this was how things were done. You would wait until somebody came. And so he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. About the eleventh hour, this would be probably about five o'clock in the evening, He went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go also into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Now, how many of you can identify with these workers? I mean, I I identified right away. I said, Yep, I understand what you're talking about. In other words, how come so-and-so gets everything handed to him and I have to work my tail off for everything I get, right? I mean, I know some kids like that in school too, by the way. I mean, they didn't have to work at all and they got A's. You know, I was working my tail off and having a difficult time. See, there's an unspoken law of life that in many cases is true. If I do more or better than you, I receive more than you. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? That is fair. It's fair. I've been working for this company for 15 years, and now they hire some yuppie out of college, and they're paying him the same thing they're paying me. Huh? Sound familiar? I'm a charter member of this church, and they go and elect John Newby to take charge of the so-and-so ministry. And notice how the landowner answers the grumbling. But he answered, verse 13, answered one of them and said, Friend? I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So I, that thinking makes sense, does it not? But I have to laugh. This reminds me of John chapter 21 when Jesus had told Peter to follow him. Right? He just said, do you love me? Do you love me? He said, you, you follow me. And so he and Peter are walking along, and, and he had told Peter, look, it's going to cost you your life to follow me. Understand that. So Peter's following him, walking with him. Peter sees John following along and says, Lord, what about him? What about him? And I love Jesus' answer. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. I'm talking to you. Ooh, I love that. 
Let me ask you a question. Did the landowner pay the first hour workers, the ones who started, the ones who were working there all day, did he pay them what he said he would pay them? So is he being unfair? No. And yes, it still seems unfair that somebody who worked harder and longer should get the same pay as somebody who worked just an hour. There's something that does not seem right about that. Now notice the key to the understanding, understanding the meaning of this parable, verses 14 and 15. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Another version says, are you envious because I'm generous? Ouch! You see, if I'm only looking at this situation from the the viewpoint of who earned more, the landowner is being unfair. But notice the words he's using here as he explains it. He basically says, my money, the word give, generous. Now, as I was reading this, I'm thinking, you know what? The landowner is turning our attention away from my working to his giving. And that's really the focus of this parable. Any of their pay is a gift from him because had he not hired them, they may have had nothing at all. It was a gift. Remember, the parable relates to verse 1. We go back to where it starts. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is as. The parable is about salvation. And the point Jesus is making is our salvation comes through God's generosity not our works. Keep your finger there. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Kind of touches on a similar point. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to start in verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, here's the landowner, people need something, he's there. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, that's all, it's what it's all about. It's the eternal life he offers us as a gift. And so in the world's view, Understand, this landowner was being unfair. He gave the 12-hour workers the same pay as he gave the the one-hour workers. But again, it's it's not about our untiring labor, but God's unmerited favor. That is about. It's about God. Jesus, I love what Jesus would do so often. He purposely upsets the balance of things in life to catch our attention and make a point. The landowner's ways of doing things in this parable were preposterous. You don't do things that way in our world. 
He purposely paid all the laborers the same, and he purposely made sure to pay the last one first so everybody else would see what he was doing. I love the way Jesus does things. So Jesus uses this parable to shock us, wake us up to his outrageous grace, the unconditional love of God that saves us. So in a sense, God's unfairness is his grace. His unfairness is his grace. Jesus uses this parable to to shock us to that. Now, why would we need that? Why does it even need to be here? Well, I can tell you what it helps me with. Um, I can, you know, I've I've been a Christian since uh, 1986. And since I've been a Christian, I did a lot more good things than bad things that I used to. And I could subconsciously begin to think, subconsciously begin to think, that I kind of somewhat deserve heaven because, well, I've done a lot. You know, over time, it kind of adds up. My resume looks a lot better than it used to, right? And maybe even I could think that I'm somehow better than, better than others. But as the long-haul workers correctly testified in verse 12, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day. Yep. That's grace. That's grace. Again, we're not talking about a day's wages, but an eternal gift from God. The kingdom of heaven, your salvation, God says, is a gift from me, which I hand out to everyone who will accept it. When it comes to salvation, we're all in the same boat. It only floats on the blood of Jesus. Amen? Without that, we're all sunk in the same boat. Romans 3.23 was big for me years ago. When I, this was how, what helped me to come to know Jesus when I understand that Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I really had convinced myself over time, not purposely, that because I was not a, quote, bad person, that I was probably okay with God. I really kind of felt that, but yet didn't understand why I had an unexplainable emptiness. And how I, call, how I could call myself a good person was because I wasn't as bad as the worst people. In other words, I wasn't killing people. I wasn't stealing people's cars. I wasn't raping people. So I'm pretty much a good people and a good person. Most people who knew me liked me, and most people who knew me would say, Gary's a good person. So that didn't help me either understand salvation. I'm a good person, right? But I learned that all sin is sin is sin is sin, and I was a sinner, and there's no way heaven was mine with, with, without having to take, do something with that sin problem. I didn't realize that sin is like a really, really, really potent poison. It doesn't matter if I take a teaspoon or a keg of it. I'm done <laughs> without Jesus. I'm done. And when I finally grasped that, that's when I fell down on my knees, theoretically, I mean, not physically, before Jesus and said, Wow. I understand now. I understand what the missing piece, P-E-A-C, has been in my life. It's you. I need you. Jesus is trying to remind us we need him. We need the landowner here. It's all his grace and none of our works. And when we understand that, we won't be envious of God's grace to others who haven't done as much. Right? We won't have animosity about God's generosity. But, yeah, I understand that, but I've done more good works. Yep, doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Why is it so hard to receive a gift? Because it negates my works, that's why. And pride has a hard time of saying, yeah, I need that, I'll take it. Can I pay you something? Can I cut your grass for you? I mean, I need to do something. So is God unfair? In one sense, yes, but that unfairness is what? It's grace. God is unfair, but that unfairness was necessary to save us. I don't get what I earn, I get what I need. We all need the same thing. So these first-hour workers were upset because the 11th-hour workers got the same pay as they did. But remember, this is really talking about heaven, which all of us needs and none can attain by our works. What's interesting here, too, is there's no evidence, as you read this, that the 11th-hour workers... There's no evidence that the 11th-hour workers are harassing the first-hour workers. Long-time Christians saying, ha-ha, I got to sin longer than you did, right? I got the fun life longer than you did. I don't see that here. Like the thief on the cross, the 11th-hour converts were relieved and eternally grateful they got in, that they were hired. Thank God for his grace or I'd be lost forever, amen? And if, should any of us ever think that folks who did come in last or who come in last yet get the better deal? Remember that the first hour folks had the privilege of knowing Jesus longer. Had the peace of knowing him longer. The joy of knowing him longer. The security of knowing him longer. The 11th hour folks have more scars from sin. Sometimes they have more issues to deal with in life. It's more difficult I was 26 when I became a Seventh-day Adventist. Some people are 56, 66, 76, 86, but some are 6 or 7. I missed out on the church grade school system of the Seventh-day Adventist church. I so wish I would have been able to go through that. When I became a Seventh-day Adventist and saw the school system, I said, oh, my word, wow, I never knew this existed. I thought only the Catholics had that type of thing. I had friends who went to Catholic school, and I thought, oh, isn't that, isn't that wonderful? All these workers found out that their works had nothing to do with being invited into God's vineyard. It's only because of God's generous grace that any of us are saved. That's it. As the first-hour workers said to the landowner, you have made them equal to us. Yep, that's the story. I am so glad that's how salvation works. Because if it didn't, I'm lost. (laughs) I'm lost. I'm so glad the ground is, as they say, level at the cross. I tell you, we can be so glad that God does not grade on the curve, but on the cross. Amen? Because we'd all be lost. Because our works are, as Isaiah says, filthy rags when it comes to salvation. The works that save us are the perfect works of Jesus. What he did on the cross and his resurrection. That's what saves me. So, no, God's plan of salvation isn't fair. It really isn't. It wasn't fair that the totally sinless Lamb of God, whose works were completely perfect, who was completely loving, it wasn't fair He had to come here to be mocked and beaten and crucified because of sinners like me. That is not fair. Not at all. I have nothing to say in this, except I'll take it, Jesus, I need it. 
It was not fair for Jesus to have to go through that. But love does things like that. There's a saying. You ever hear the saying of somebody gets the shaft? When there's unfairness, somebody gets the shaft. By the way, let me go back on something I said because I talked about being a sinner and, and, and having my idea what sin was, and, and I'm, I'm better than someone else, so I guess I'm okay. When Jesus died in the place of sinners, I had to come to a place in my own life where I realized sinners were not simply rapists and murderers and child molesters, but gossips and character assassins and controllers, right? Wife abusers, users of pornography, legalists. I said, ow. He died for all of us. But as I said, when there's unfairness, somebody gets the shaft. In this case, God himself, Jesus, voluntarily got the shaft. He got nailed to the shaft, the wooden shaft and the cross beam for us. That's not fair. But love goes beyond fair. Love does what's necessary to those who are loved. So it's not fair. Nope. It's generous. It's beyond generous. It's amazing. Amazing grace. When you accept it, when you accept him and you grasp that grace, you share it. Have you been sharing it? When you accept that grace, when you're rejoicing in that grace, you share it. Give that grace to God. Or rather, give that grace of God to others. When I have that grace and God asks me to do something special for him, to go the second mile, I don't, I don't fuss about it because he's done everything for me. I don't, I don't deserve what he's given me. I'll do whatever he asks. When God, when I come to something in the word, if, I am, if I'm enjoying his grace, his unmerited favor, his, his unfairness, and I read something in the Bible that hurts, and I, am I going to give God the benefit or not? When I'm enjoying his grace, I give God the benefit. I don't fuss with him. He gave me everything. I don't deserve what I have. He gives it. I accept it. I follow him. I don't ask, what can I get away with? When I understand God's generous grace, I say, what can I do for you? What can I do for you, Lord? What can I do? What can I give? What can I give? I can give all of me in response to all of him. Is that what you want to do? Give all of you in response to all of him for his unmerited grace, his wonderful unfairness in letting us in. Stand with me, if you will, as we pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we want to thank you for being willing to come. And Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for applying what Jesus has done to our lives. Lord, remind me, remind us that what you went through was not fair. You didn't deserve what you got. And we don't deserve what we get when we accept you, but we embrace it. We know you want us to take your gift. It was so expensive. You gave it all. We thank you for that gift. What outrageous grace you've shown us. I pray that each one of us in this place will embrace that grace if we have not or if we need to re-embrace it today before we leave this place. 
And I'm going to pray that as we do leave this place, empowered by your grace, that we share that with those we come in contact with. Not just out in the world, not just our neighbors, not just people in the marketplace, but those in our church also. I pray you'll help us to show your grace to our fellow church members. Lord, use us for your glory today as we embrace that wonderful grace you've shown us. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.